The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks again for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Hope to bring you home some winners today. I know I've got two winning guests. Our handicapper will be Brian Zipsy. He's been on before. He's the editor of Horse Racing Nation. He authors a daily column, Zipsy at the Track, or Zat for short, as those of us in racing know him. And uh, he uh, stays on top of that website very, very well. Be sure to put it into your favorites. And our first guest is going to be one of my favorite people in the world. I have never had him on the show, but I've got a good angle to get him on. His name is Tony Bentley, and he's going to be calling the Suffolk Downs races on the 6th and the 7th uh, this week. So he's taking over for T.D. Houghton for a couple of days. Uh, Tony and I used to work about 10 feet apart up in the press box at the fairgrounds. Uh, we got some great stories to share and some that we can't. But uh, Tony, since getting away from calling the Thoroughbreds on a regular basis, he says he doesn't even remember the last time he called Thoroughbreds. Uh, he is the voice of the National Steeplechase Association. But more importantly, he's kind of moved his career over a little bit. He's doing a lot of acting now, and he's had roles in three Academy Award-winning films, Dallas Buyers Club, 12 Years a Slave, and The Big Short. Uh, very much looking forward to uh, uh, talking with Tony. Uh, we talked just a little bit ago, and uh, he's having dinner with his mentor, the guy he studied under initially at St. Louis. I think you will know who he is, the one, the only, and down the stretch they come, Dave Johnson. So, Brian Zipsy and Tony Bentley will be our guests. We're going to be looking at a lot of uh, good racing, uh, some uh, interesting racing, uh, Mountaineer Park. What a card they have. I believe every race is a stakes race at Mountaineer on Saturday. Of course, headed up by the West Virginia Derby, grade two, $750,000 up for grabs. It'll be interesting to see... uh, who Brian likes in there. I know that Cupid has been installed a slight favorite down on the inside. Of course, Rafael Barano rode Cupid for the first time in the Indiana Derby for Bob Baffert and uh, put in a front-running effort and got the job done as the favorite that day. So uh, it'll be interesting to get Brian's read on that because of late, the inside post is where you don't want to be 
at Mountaineer Park. We'll see if that affects uh, the outcome of the race or the outcome of uh, Brian's decision while we handicap this race. Then, of course, we're going to go to the spa. Great racing every weekend. The grade one test, seven furlongs for the three-year-old girls. It'll be very interesting. We've got some lightly raced but very talented horses in there. And then the 89th running of the Whitney. Can anybody beat Frosted after the performance that the son of Tappet put in in the Metropolitan Handicap, drawing away easily to win by 14 and a quarter lengths? I got a feeling the race is for place. Well, no matter where you place your bets on the races, make sure you come to winningponies.com. Pull down your easy win forms. Uh, at Mountaineer, just this week had a huge hit, a 50-cent pick five that paid over $15,000. Of course, we'll be talking about the races at Saratoga, doing well there. Uh, on the first, we had a $1 pick five that returned $4,500. And on the third had a super, $1 super, paying 2370 Been doing well from coast to coast. So after you hear our selections, pull down those easy win forms and see if they jive with some of the horses that we will give you tonight on Winning Ponies. Well, Exaggerator rebounded with the Haskell victory. It was the Haskell and the Jim Dandy, the three-year-olds, getting in the spotlight last weekend. Kent DeSormo in the saddle. It was the 49th running of the Haskell and got the job done for his brother Keith, the trainer, who wasn't even on hand. He sent his assistant. Now, I'm sure that uh, the connections of Exaggerator were very happy to see that once again, just like last year, the rains came and it was a wet track. And as you know, that seems to move Exaggerator up quite a bit. And it certainly did uh, with, with the Haskell. Uh, he was last in the six-horse field, gained on the backstretch, and uh, the track was rated as sloppy. And the uh, way that he just exploded tells me he's going to be something else in there. He did have to survive a claim of foul from uh, Rafael Bayerano, who was aboard the promising American Freedom, but his number did stay up. So uh, Nyquist, who broke from the rails, set the early pace uh, just behind Awesome Slough. Uh, Nyquist looked to be in a very good spot, but actually got nipped for the third spot and ended up running fourth. So Exaggerator gets the job done in the the Haskell. It'll be interesting to see where Nyquist pops up next. Uh, What can we say? Uh, He did have to travel cross-country. But he had time to rest, just like the other horses. So uh, Exaggerator right now pushing his nose near the top of the three-year-old division with a classic victory and a win in the million-dollar Haskell. How about this? (laughs) Saratoga, you got to love it. How about a maiden winning the Jim Dandy? That's all right. The maiden Leoban got his first career win in the $600,000 grade two Jim Dandy from Flag Fall to That's All. Uh, he set nice fractions under Jose Ortiz and uh, had a nice challenge from the grade two winner, Destin, who tracked him throughout, ended up finishing third. <coughs> And Governor Malibu 
moved between horses to get the second spot but couldn't get to the winner. So uh, Leoban, strong finish, putting himself on the mark. Uh, trainer Eric Goulier, a lot of people think he's uh, a little bit on the edge. Uh, he's a raging Cajun, but uh, he wasn't afraid to race this son of Uncle Mo against some of the top competition out there. And uh, he felt that uh, all the speed was going across town tomorrow. He, I, he definitely gets the quote of the week. He says, my partner and I, we don't dance to elevator music. We dance to Zydeco. Who wants to run in a maiden? Well, he got the job done and now places himself solidly in the three-year-old picture. Now, uh, speaking of the three-year-olds, they're going to meet in the West Virginia Derby, as I told you earlier. Just found out a few hours ago that Mo Tom is going to pass on the race. He was installed as one of the favorites at 5-1. to one. He's not hurt or anything. He continues to train well, says Tom Amos. But the West Virginia Derby's out, and he's going to race later this month. He's going to work on August 5th. Of course, he finally got out of his uh, troubled situations that he had on the Derby Trail and won the half-a-million-dollar Ohio Derby in his last race. Well, it looks like there's a new kid on the block. That's right. American Pharaoh's sister won in her Del Mar debut, something her big brother uh, couldn't do. Believe this, she was off at 7-1 to one, while her stablemate, Jeweled, took the heavy betting action at 4-5. to five. She, like American Pharaoh, comes out of the barn of Bob Baffert. So, uh, as he said, there are some pretty good genes there. Uh, Stuart Elliott was in the saddle. Kind of interesting. I don't recall him riding that much for Bob Baffert. They say she's not that big, a little short leg, but she's got a beautiful way of moving. Not sure where they're going to go from here, but congratulations to the, the sister of American Pharaoh, and her name is American Cleopatra. Okay, well, we already told you about Tony Bentley. Congratulations to Joe Johnson. He won the National Handicapping Tour first half. Now, if you want to get in the action, uh, there is a second half that starts this weekend. Uh, the top five from the National Handicapping Tour will each be awarded 10000 cash. This weekend's plethora of contest offerings include a Friday and Saturday $200,000 win Las Vegas Handicapping Challenge and uh, Saturday's all-optional contest. Now, there's some, a lot of contests, so I'll give you three places you can go and one where you can see all of them. You can go to horsetourneys.com, nhcqualify.com, and then go to www.ntra.com, and they'll have a list of all of the contests and how you get in them. Well, how about our man Jersey Joe? Joe Bravo went from upstate New York to the Jersey Shore, winning four graded stakes races on his way to the Jockey Guild's Jockey of the Week. He started the weekend at Saratoga, taking the call aboard AP Indian in the Alfred Vanderbilt. I want to thank Dan Illman. He gave us that horse at pretty decent odds, and then he just went down to Monmouth and almost swept the card. So bravo, bravo to Joe Bravo. Well, Mountaineers going to have their big day on Saturday, but boy, they're starting to feel a purse pinch through 77 racing programs this year. The purses are only averaging $83,000, the lowest figure in about two decades, with an average field side of just over seven horses. It's a shame to 
see. I've got a lot of good friends that work and, and ride over there. Uh, but uh, the percentage of the purses, incentives uh, are going other places. So that's, uh, that's up to the lottery. Well, let's take a look. I want to make sure we get as much uh, race action in as we can that we covered last week. Of course, huge upset in the Clement Hirsch. Beholder, 10-time grade one winner, went off at 1-9. to nine. And Stellar Wind, herself a champion, she was last year's three-year-old champion um, in the country, stayed with her the whole way and then finally passed her. They hooked up about the 5-16th pole and just went head-to-head. Beholder regained the lead, but then Stellar Wind under Victor Espinoza, how hot is he right now, got the job done and the upset. Of course, you remember Beholder might have been a little bit short on her training, so we'll be Interested to see where Richard Mandela uh, goes with her next. Uh, again, Stellar Wind, last three-year-old champion, gets the jump on her. Uh, then in the grade two bowling green at Saratoga, it's not that often you see an exciting four-horse race, but this certainly was. Mile three-eighths on the inner turf, Flintshire, huge favorite. Pretty much uh, just kind of stayed behind the top horses. But turning for home, all of a sudden, there was nowhere to go for Javier Castellano. And uh, he swings Flintshire out, roused him, just tapped him one time, and then he just inhaled the field in a beautiful hand ride, uh, getting the job done. So it was Flintshire over Grant Tito, who had the lead most of the way. And in the third spot was Twilight Eclipse. And then the uh, Alfred G. Vanderbilt Handicap, the winner there, again, thanks to Dan Illman, gave us AP Indy in, who paid $11.40 to win. And his second pick was Holy Boss, who finished second, giving us a $58 exacta. So that's a look at uh, the top races that we handicapped last week. Again, congratulations uh, to Joe Bravo on him doing so well at the Mammoth Card and getting Jockey of the Week. That pretty much rounds out national racing. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to my man, Tony Bentley. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, I was so happy last week when I pulled a story up on the Blood Horse and saw the smiling face of none other than Tony <laughs> Bentley saying that he was going to be calling some racing at Suffolk Downs. Now, what we're going to talk about his career, but before we talk about that, I've got to tell you, it was, it's approximately half our lives ago that Tony and I worked about 10 feet apart in the press box at the fairgrounds. He was the voice. I was the PR guy. Thank God he was there because he was constantly uh, correcting me as I butchered the names of the Cajun jockeys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bear, not Herbert, John. A bear. So, uh, Which I did when a, I first went there. <laughs> <laughs> which was a, a huge help. But uh, uh, first of all, Tony, welcome to the show. I've got a lot of questions to ask you, and I want to tell people about some of our experiences in the past. Hey, look, you know, my first day I said, That's a change of jockey. That's Eddie Delahouse. <laughs> so you know what <laughs> there it is <laughs> yeah it, it was easy to do well those you know i'll never forget that that uh, the season working down there and it was actually 28 years ago which uh, i did the math and it was about half our lives um and uh, it, it was just a great time i mean when when i when i reflected that it was kind of like four years of college, and quite frankly, people like you uh, and Glenn Gremion and a few of the other people have become lifelong friends, like uh, roommates in, in, in college. And when I think about those days, Tony, I go back to the, the, the press box characters uh, at the fairgrounds. I mean, we had, we had our, our go-to guy that got the beer for us and kept the, the press box uh, clean, uh, Rabbit, and he, he was our runner, but his real name was George Bernard Shaw. And then, of course, I was right. replacing Alan the Black Cat Lacombe. We had Schwartz oh Walker. Uh, we had uh, uh, games, uh, casino games with the Daily Racing Forms, Mark Gordon cutting the cards after the races. Uh, then, of course, a guy that caused me to do all of the post parades for the first race every Sunday was Chef Carol Angel, because you would be down eating his buffet, and I'd turn around and there's nobody at the microphone. So somebody had to put him on the track. Uh, Donald put him out there. I haven't finished my lunch. That's, uh, you'd, you'd come up just to get ready to load in the gate. My heart would be beaten. Of course, we had characters like, uh, well, great guys like Ramon and Mervyn Munez, and then we had characters like Ronnie Lamarck and, and Louis Roussel. I mean, quite frankly, it was like being in a movie, Tony. You had plenty of practice. <laughs> true, true, true. Those were fun times. I mean, you know, I went to the fairgrounds in 74 as a kid of 22, and you know what? I grew up there. Um, so, yes, it was, it was, those were amazing times, and I hate to be, you know, one of the in the good old days kind of guys, but, yeah, those were the good old days. Oh, yeah. I mean, nothing's like that. I mean, that was like being in, in a Mickey Rooney movie, you know, especially the characters once you went down the steps from the press box. Not that there weren't enough. I was, in never, in a movie with, I was never in a movie with Mickey Rooney, but nonetheless. <laughs> 
Well, you, I, 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 I read your bio at the top of the at the top of the show, and, and I told people that, of course. Although you've gotten away from the thoroughbreds for a while, you've still always been the regular voice of the National Steeplechase Association. I now, think- wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. They're all thoroughbreds. Don't make that mistake. I'm very On adamant about that. On the flat. How's that? Okay. Thank you. Because I remember uh, uh, Bucky Deliberto's son, Mike, said, I remember this horse when he was a thoroughbred. Now he's running over the jumps. I said, Mike, he's still a thoroughbred. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Commander's Palace. He ran the Louisiana Derby. Then he won 200,000 yes. over jumps. Never mind. Go ahead. Sorry. That, that's <laughs> fantastic. Well, we just said uh, off the air that now that your, your resume continues to, to enhance at the races, that, that Suffolk will put you at 11 racetracks. I think, I think 11. I, I um, you know, who knows? I might have heard. But, you know, two days here, a week there, three days there. Did I put Gulfstream in there? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Well, and I, I also put uh, what we have on uh, the uh, the website, some, some of the different things that, that you did that I learned that you did when you were down there, such as uh, giving tennis lessons, uh, having a, a cooking show, uh, and you're one hell of a cook. I remember you were nice enough when I first got there to actually have me over to, to your house on Perrier to have a Cincinnati-style chili, and you were smart enough to put the Which cinnamon in there. Well, I've always thought that I'm not very good at a lot of different things, but I try. <laughs> well, those years of hair, hanging around the, uh, the, the, the characters at the racetrack uh, have obviously helped you in your characterization. The, the fact that you have accomplished uh, the fact that you've had roles in three Academy Award-winning films, Dallas Buyers Which Club. I'm quite Club proud of, Club. yep. You should be. Twelve Years a Slave and The Big Short. I mean, yep. uh, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, I see that uh, when I went online, I found at least 40 credits uh, for your acting. T- tell me about it. Was that your segue after your life behind the mic? Well, what happened was 2004, the tax credits kicked in in Louisiana. I had done local theater. I had done voiceovers and commercials. So my agent just started sending me out on movie auditions and 2004, I did a movie. I did a scene with Mary Louise Parker, sort of a, a chick flick uh, miracle run. And they just started, you know, coming on. Uh, Hal Wallace and the CBS uh, series Elvis with Jonathan Reesmeyer and whatever. And um, so it, it's, been, it's been great fun. And it's a thrill. Um, and I went to Hollywood for the Oscars in March. Of course, there's an A list, a B list. I would be on the D list. But you know what? I had fun. <laughs> and, it, and I went to the Night of 100 Stars, and I milked it shamelessly. <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, you know, deservedly so. I, you, you're, you're, you're in your zone uh, without a doubt. Now, um, tell me about, as I went through some of, some of them, not all of them, um, you've actually had the chance to work with some pretty solid actors. Well, I mean, Nicholas Cage, Matthew McGonaghy, Steve Carell, Scott Glenn in Faith of My Fathers, uh, you know, Mary Louise Parker. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was fun, and I just went in there and did it. I mean, I wasn't afraid. I just, and I remember Scott Glenn's wife saying to my girlfriend who was watching us shoot this scene, well, he's really good. Is he from L.A.? No, no, he's local and whatever. And uh, so it was great fun, and I didn't recognize Steve Carell when we went out to rehearse. Because he, and you know, and I didn't watch a lot of TV, The Office, but 
Um, and he had just done Foxcatcher, where he had a big fake nose. So we were rehearsing. I don't know it's Steve Carell. And his name wasn't on the call sheet. They do a fake name. Thank God I didn't call him Scott, like his fake name. So we come <laughs> back to do the scene with 200 extras. And one of the extras knows me. He comes up, well, how's Steve Carell? I go, oh, my God, that's him. Anyway, he walked up to me at one of the breaks and said, Steve Carell, hey, nice. You know, I said, well, of course, Steve, oh, my God, you're a huge star. What a thrill. He says, well, you're, you know, you're doing great. Are you local? No. Like, yeah. Are you from L.A.? No, I'm local. So it was a wonderful, positive experience. Well, uh, when, when you go up and, and pull down the different uh, movies you've been in, it kind of de- describes a little bit of the, who the person was you played. Uh, I, I see a lot of uh, criminal justice roles. But uh, how about 19, 2015, Return to Sender, you played what they call the creepy customer. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the line was, I was waiting in line to get some dry cleaning, and the girl behind the counter had um, all sorts of tattoos, and I said something like, I love tattoos. I'd like to see where that one leads to, or something like that. Uh-huh. But let's not forget my role in Ruffian. Yes. Okay. So, Which ruffian so was my that? Role, yeah, so my role, the character is the lout, L-O-U-T, like in jerk, because I'm the guy, ruffian breaks down, I'm standing behind the Janny box and the Phipps box, and I go, I can't believe they throw speed at her and she comes unbuckled. <laughs> Ooh, that was a tough which, one. Well, what which about, what about- actually has some basis in history because allegedly... Moody Jolly said something in the winner's circle like, well, I knew she couldn't run with us. I mean, you know, she broke down, so tasteless. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I I was just going to ask you about uh, beyond a reasonable doubt that Roger Milner as Tony Bentley. You played yourself? Uh, I think they got that wrong because the character was Roger Milner. And that was about seven lines. But that's okay. They did overtime, and I made about $1,900. Now, some of these had to be awful easy because they were filming them in uh, uh, Louisiana. You've been on NCIS New Orleans, and then I see that uh, you played a FEMA official in a couple episodes uh, of, of another series. Uh, Treme, Treme, which was on HBO, and that was directed by Tim Robbins, which was a big thrill for me. I mean, what a great star, and he's directing me in the scene. So, you know, that was a lot of fun. And uh, what is this? I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling down, and my computer's going too fast. But um, there was an exorcism movie, and you played a pastor. Oh, I played I played Pastor Manley, and you know what? That little movie cost like three million, grossed like eighty six million. The kids loved it, and um, it was sort of a rip off of Blair Witch Project, where a guy's doing an exorcism. He knows it's fake. He brings a documentary camera along, but says. All of a sudden, he realizes halfway through the movie, oops, it's the real deal, and we go from there. So, folks, read it, because that'll help my retirement. <laughs> well, good. I hope you get residuals coming in. Now, real quick, I've only got a couple minutes just to rewind your career. You had, a guy, you had breakfast with the guy that uh, gave you your, your startup today. Yep, Dave Johnson, first announcer I ever had, ever heard, Cahokia Downs, probably 19... 19- 67 or 68, I was in high school, and he was the first voice I ever heard. 
Then he went on to Hialeah, and I met him in 71. We corresponded. I sent him tapes. I practiced, and he got me my first job, Penn National, 1973. Well, that is fantastic, and the fact that you remain lifelong friends. I mean, again, going back, uh, you know, to the fairgrounds, I remember uh, being at a crawfish boil with Dave Johnson and Charles E. Canney. They were uh, probably in for the Louisiana Derby. Yeah, and and Uh, I'll never forget, uh, this guy's name came up on a sports program today, and because of you, I met him. He's a Hall of Famer. I met you at the Galt House for some drinks. I don't know if it was Derby or Breeders' Cup. And you sit there, and you introduce me to this guy, Stan, you're drinking with. So we're sitting there. We have a couple of beers, and Stan seems like a real nice, I don't know, Polish guy uh, from St. Louis, whatever. And he goes to the bathroom, and you go, uh, you know who Stan is, don't you? I said, no, I've got no idea. You said, that's Stan Musial. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Oh, my it. God. Did that, I, you know, I forgot that. Well, well I'm like from said, St. Louis, and his daughter was best friend from eighth grade with my sister. No kidding. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, we, we just sat there, we talked to horses for half an hour, 45 minutes. I had no idea who the guy was other than he was a real nice guy. <laughs> and a pretty good baseball player. I've heard that. I've heard that. Like I said, people were talking about uh, great moments in sports today, and his name came up. I said, oh, I've got to work that into the interview with Tony Bentley. Well, uh, Tony's been nothing but a joy. I know you're stepping out a of a pleasure. Big, uh, High-class dinner there in New York City. I, I wish you the best at Suffolk, and uh, stay in touch with me, and say hi to my good friend Mike Burke next time you see him. I will do that, and uh, wish me luck there at Suffolk Downs. You'll do fine, Tony. You always land on your feet. You always have. <laughs> Thank you, John. Great fun. Okay. All right, we've been talking to Tony Bentley, not only a great race caller, a super guy to be around, and now turning into a fine actor in his own right. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Brian Zipsy. You are listening to Winning Ponies. Come on back. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right. Well, I kind of... I told you his resume at the top of the show, and I told you to make sure that you click in your favorites, horseracingnation.com, and there you'll see Zipsy at the track for the love of thoroughbred racing. He's Brian Zipsy. He's the editor of Horse Racing Nation. Uh, it's fresh. Uh, it's fun. Uh, and he stays on top of things uh, with everything from, you know, the big races we're going to talk about today uh, to the horse racing uh, rankings and results from the week gone by. Brian, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, John. How are you? It's always a, a pleasure to be on Winning Ponies. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you. We had uh, uh, quite the, uh, the, the week in racing as far as uh, some upsets for sure. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggest that may have uh, got by some people were the race out at Delmar, the Clement Hirsch, you know, sometimes you get involved so much on some of the East Coast races, you forget. Plus, you figure, well, this is probably just going to be another public workout for Beholder. But uh, Stellar Wind, the champion in her own right, uh, proved that uh, she's still ready to play the game. Yeah, you know, John, Stellar Wind, really, I mean, if you look at her past performances, she's never run a bad race. Of course, she's the daughter of a two-time Horse of the Year, Curlin, who's turning out to be a great sire. Stellar Wind had nothing but good races. She only had one race this year, John, and interestingly, she tried Beholder for her first race of the year, which is tough enough. She ran a good second. It's just that Beholder has been so good, especially in California for the last three, four years. You just assume Beholder's going to win. But I tell you what, Victor Espinosa got Stellar Wind out of the gate. He hustled her after Beholder. He stalked and hounded her the whole way. And, and they just pulled away from the rest of it. There wasn't much in there besides those two. But they were 10 clear of the rest, and it was a great duel down the stretch. And Stellar Wind, four-year-old, was better than Beholder, the, the old three-time champion. It was fun to see. I mean, you think about it, Beholder, a 10-time grade one winner. My, my question, Brian, is remember how uh, Mandela moved because of the breakdowns that they had out there, kind of moved her work away a day. Uh, I just wonder if he maybe went a little bit easier on her and didn't have her cranked up as much for this one, perhaps because of the confidence he had, or that he's looking down the road at something. Well, you, you can't name the owner. The owner was interviewed before the race. Uh, Mandela, of course, has, the, uh, has as much confidence as he can have in, a, in, in a Philly and Mare out there in Boulder. She's, she's proven to deserve that year after year, right? So anything that uh, they do that might show a little bit uh, overconfidence, you could, you could accept it. But now uh, I think she's got competition in the division. I don't think this is a fluke. I'm not ready to say Stellar Wind is the best older in the country, but you have to put her right there in the in the game with Beholder. I really think Stellar Wind is interesting because not only is she uh, a filly that looks like she's going to get better as the distances get longer, they're also saying good things about her running next year at five, the year after that at six. 
So stellar wind, we could be looking at another special career here. And she's, she's a lightly raced four-year-old, so it's, it's exciting times. Uh, Beholder may be in the Pacific Classic to defend. I, I think she's still going to get that shot. Stellar wind, they're saying no to face the boys and Beholder in the Pacific Classic. But uh, maybe I, I have a feeling we'll get to see them again sometime. Maybe the Breeders' Cup this staff down the road at Santa Anita. Well, before we go on to another uh, shovel in the graveyard of champions, the fact that two weeks ago there wasn't with Songbird. Uh, she took on all the challengers and won like a good one. She could end up in the starting gate against Stellar Wind and Beholder before the year's out. What a race that would be. Yeah, I mean, uh, Songbird, uh, she's, she's just head and shoulders above her above her three-year-old silly competition. I saw her at Del Mar uh, last year, and I thought she was something special very quickly, and she's just, she's just proven it. And then some, uh, first time at Saratoga, first time in New York, Graveyard of Champions comes in. I said before the race, John, Karina Mia is really the best horse she's ever faced. She's ever been outside of her, her three-year-old silly division. So Karina Mia was a test, and Karina Mia ran a real big race. At least she yeah. ran a big race for the, for the first mile. She looked her in the eye, and, and just for a brief second, it looked like, hey, she might, she might have Songbird's number. And then Songbird just came back and repelled her. It was, it was impressive, and, and Songbird is special. There's no doubt about that. We want to see her maybe get out of that division sooner or later. But for now, uh, enjoy a special three-year-old filly. Well, uh, now we will go back to the graveyard of champions. And without a doubt, perhaps the quote of the month. And, and that is from Eric Gouliot, who said, My owner and I, we don't dance to elevator music. We dance to Zydeco. Who wants to run in a maiden race? And he goes in to the Jim Dandy with a 27-to-1 shot and upsets the field. It was awesome. I kept waiting for that horse to fold, and it never did. Yeah, Eric Yo, you know, he, he really does have voodoo dolls hanging from his barn. I mean, this is not stuff that's just made up or, or teased, teased around the uh, media a little bit. He's, he's a little bit crazy, but he's a quote machine. He's an interesting guy. I always enjoy talking to Eric Yo. He's, he's a Cajun through and through, and, uh, you know, he's, he's done this before. I mean, let's not forget Moreno just a few years ago ran huge in the Travers. He ran a good Jim Dandy. Huge in the Travers as, as a really less regarded three-year-old than the big names that year. Came back and won the Whitney next year, wire to wire. And now he's got another horse like that. Uh, Moreno took a long time to win his maiden. And, and this Jim Dandy win, this big Jim Dandy win over several good horses, uh, Destin and Creator and Mulhaman and Governor Malibu, it was his maiden win. That's, that's something to see. You don't see that every day. Good for them, 27 to 1. Uh, it actually, it actually uh, knocked me out of the pick six. I was kicking myself not uh, throwing Laoban in. If I knew the jockeys were going to let him run that easy early, John, I'm telling you, I might have had that $34,000 pick six, but oh well. Ooh, Lived well, yeah. day. If, we knew, if we knew a lot of things, uh, a lot of us would. I know it put uh, Joe Johnson at the top of the National Handicapping uh, Qualifier, so uh, he's got 10000 in his pocket, and he's going to Vegas. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned uh, Moreno, and uh, Eric, uh, you're right. He, he 
knew he had a nice horse there, and he didn't duck anybody. I mean, you'd look up, he'd be at Delmar, he'd be at West Virginia, he'd be at Saratoga. Be, you know what I mean? That horse went everywhere to run, obviously because this guy believed in him, and he ended up pulling down some big races. Yeah, you know, he's not afraid to lose, and, and, and that's something I think a little different nowadays than, than uh, racing in the past. Horses and trainers and horsemen, you know, they ran more often, that's true, but I think they were more apt to take the challenge. They were more apt to say, well, if we win one of these five big races we're going to run in in the next five, four months, that's, that's good news. Whereas uh, a lot of trainers nowadays seem to, seem to spot their horses more uh, uh, judiciously, they don't want to. They don't want to rack up the losses. They don't want to get the losing percentage. They don't want to see their owners that put a lot of money into their stable have too many losses in a row. And they don't go for the upset. They don't go for these bigger races that you know once in a while they could win. And Lauban won the Jim Dandy at twenty-seven to one because Eric Eo took a shot. Well, it, it will be interesting to see what uh, happens coming down the road. And while I've got uh, Brian Zipsy from Horse Racing Nation with me, your read on the million-dollar Haskell exaggerator, is he mutter superior or the real deal? A little bit of everything. I'm going to give you three things, John. He's the real deal. He has won a great, he has won a great at stakes on a fast track at Saratoga last summer. That was the Saratoga special. That was a year ago. But I don't think he needs a sloppy track. He moves up, or other horses move down, and he and he he eats up the mud, as they say. Uh, number two is in in his wins this year. He's had three huge wins. The Santa Anita Derby, remember, was a was a really big performance, and of course, the Preakness and and just now the Haskell. All three of them. What do they have in common? Wet tracks, yes, but also very fast paces. And for a horse that likes to make a big move. Uh, like he does from behind, that's, that's tailor-made. So he's getting these fast paces, and he's getting slop. I almost feel like, down in my heart, I almost feel like the fast pace is more important than the wet track. But I think both of them make him an almost unstoppable force. We were joking in the Saratoga press box the other day, it, it must rain on Travers Day this year because he just keeps coming up to these big races and getting that, that dark cloud that follows him. And, and for him, it's a, it's a silver lining in that dark cloud. Well, uh, we've got uh, just a couple of minutes before we go to break. Um, <clears throat> coming around the turn, I have to admit, I was kind of back on the Nyquist camps uh, side saying, well, this would be good. This horse that was you know, undefeated and then lost in a classic, and it could have been the count. And these guys are, are willing to travel from coast to coast. A um, little bit of a head-scratcher getting nosed out for the third spot with Nyquist. I wonder where they go or what they do, I guess. Regroup is the word. Yeah, I, I really think they were willing to try older horses in the Pacific Classic after they won the Haskell. Of course, they didn't win the Haskell, so now they're going back to the drawing board. I, I had a feeling, uh, I, I, I certainly thought there was a real chance that Nyquist could win this. I don't think, again, like the Preakness, I don't think the race set up well for him, John. It, it was almost a carbon copy of his Preakness uh, loss in a lot of ways, which was the first loss of his career. But I, I wondered if he was a little bit of a tired horse. He went to the Derby, ran huge in the Derby. He really did run his eyeballs out in the Preakness. He ran much better in the Preakness than the Haskell, right? Uh, so I thought maybe he, he did a lot early in the year where they got him ready quickly for the Derby. He won the Derby. Huge effort in the Preakness, but he got beat. 
And now maybe he just, maybe that took something out of him. I didn't love uh, the way he looked on the turn, even even maybe into the backstretch in the Haskell. Uh, maybe a rest is in store. Maybe they can bring him back later in the fall, get one race in before the Breeders' Cup Classic. But I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't bet Nyquist against big boys the rest of the year, frankly. All right, we're with Brian Zipsy. We're going to take a little bit of a break. and we come back, we're going to put 10 pounds in a 5-pound sack. Going to try to handicap three races, the West Virginia Derby, the Test, and the Whitney. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, for the last segment of the show, with us, Brian Zipsy from Horse Racing Nation and Zipsy at the track. Let's pick it up with some handicapping. The West Virginia Derby earlier on the show gave you the big scratch in there. Mo Tom, a horse that both uh, Brian and I respect a lot. Uh, this opens uh, an interesting can of worms. I was reading today, uh, Mike Watchmaker, who's been watching uh, a Mountaineer Park, and he was pretty much saying, boy, it's... Down on the inside is not the place to be, and we know that's where Cupid is, and Cupid and Rafael Barano are probably going to have to use their speed early perhaps to get off that dead rail. Yeah, yeah. I think Cupid, now with the scratch of Mo Tom, John, I think Cupid becomes a clear a clear and present favorite. I, I think they're going to look at the speed, the Baffert angle, and the fact that he's coming off a nice win from the Indiana Derby, and they're going to jump on Cupid. I think he's, even in this 12th field, I think he's going to be no higher than 2-1. to one. So I want to try to beat Cupid because he's a very beatable horse, right? We've seen him lose as, as the favorite in the Arkansas Derby, an easy goer. And I think there are horses in here willing to go after him a little bit early. 
if the rail is dead, that makes his, his, his life a whole lot tougher. But I was going to try to beat him anyway. I think there's enough pace pressure where uh, some of these good uh, ralliers in here can, can really make some noise in the last 316. I'm thinking perhaps with that statement made that economic model's on your ticket. Economic model, I think, will be one of the ones that pushes early. I don't, I, I don't expect him to be maybe battling with Cupid early, but I think he's going to be. Uh, I think he's going to be part of the pace pressure, and I have respect for him. Uh, he's run some good races in New York. He's never beaten this type of horse yet, and frankly, I think he might be the second favorite. Uh, sudden breaking news, I guess, is going to get that as well. But I'm looking more for the third or fourth choice. I'm looking for the other Uncle Mo, John. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Forever Mo. Forever Mo. Forever Mo is, is, is a stakes winner as a two-year-old. This year, he's run a lot of good races. Uh, he was a good second in the past day mile. He was kind of having to weave through traffic there when Sharp Azteca ran that crazy race at a mile. He was a good second to gun runner down in Louisiana. He had a little traffic in the Louisiana Derby, I don't think he wants to go any farther than nine furlongs. But I think I think eight to nine furlongs with speed is a really good setup. I happen to know he's doing really well for Al Stahl right now. He uh, he won a, a very uh, contentious allowance race nicely uh, in his last start. Forever Mo can sit a trip because I think he's ahead of sudden breaking news and a couple of the plotters early. I think he makes his move on the turn hooks up Cupid as they straighten out. And I think Forever Mo, I don't know, six, eight, maybe even ten to one, I think he's got a real big shot in here. And to complement that selection, Florent Giraud will be in the saddle. He's kind of been in a zone all year long, hard to leave him off any ticket. Well, let's go to the spa right now. Uh, we'll pick what I feel is perhaps the tougher of the two races that we'll start with to give us a little more time, and that is the seven furlong test. Half a million, a grade one. They're making the lightly race Karina the favorite. Of course, Kieran McLaughlin's just been having a lights-out season at Saratoga. Yeah, McLaughlin got off to a crazy start. He won seven of his first, well, I don't know what it was, seven of nine or something crazy. He hasn't won uh, in the last few days, so he's, I think he's still stuck at seven, or last I heard he was stuck at seven. Uh, Karina's interesting. Karina's only run three races. You know, one of these well-bred go dolphin uh, horses who could be any kind, and she she's looked like any kind. She didn't race at two. She was a good second in her debut to a stakes winner. And then her two races since then, a maiden at Keeneland and then uh, Belmont Stakes Weekend in the Jersey Girl Stakes. She ran uh, a hole in the win. She had 107 and change. She won off by six and a quarter lengths. The horses she beat in there, good fillies, not great fillies. This is a step up. Um, I, I think I think the odds makers probably right this time. I think people are going to jump on Karina, but it's hard to imagine her being too much lower than off the tracks. Who is right. actually my top pick? We're we're talking about another Curlin here, and she's got a lot of class. She's dropping back. She's cutting back from a mile and a sixteenth to seven furlongs, which I don't mind. She's got a bunch of speed where she can lay third or fourth early. And if you look last year, she had a big win sprinting at Saratoga in the Schuylerville. Uh, hard hard to, to debate with you, that's for sure. And, of course, uh, she's already beaten, uh, you know, Lewis Bay and Lightstream. 
uh, Todd Pletcher. He'll be he'll begin to catch up to uh, Kerry McLaughlin's at least when this form was printed. Uh, was is batting forty one percent. So uh, that that is a look at the test. So uh, with a, only about three minutes left, let's go to the horse this weekend that I think will uh, have the biggest bullet on its back, and I don't think anybody can shoot him down. And that is Frosted, who just put in an eye-popping performance in the Metropolitan Handicap. He'll be the heavy favorite in the Grade 1 Whitney, $1.2 million up for grabs. John, do you like Frosted in here? Do you, do you really like Frosted? Do I like Frosted in here? Yeah, I like yeah, Frosted in here. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay, good. Uh, I, I would say, of course, I was there. That was Belmont Stakes Day for the Nut Mile, which is always one of my favorite races. I would say that was the most impressive race I've seen in years. I, am, I, I, can't, uh, I can't say it loud enough how impressive that race was. I think Frosted is turning a corner. Always been a talented horse, always gotten his own way a little bit, or had American Pharaoh in his way, the best three-year-old of, of the last few decades, the Triple Crown winner, American Pharaoh. American Pharaoh was better than Frosted. Frosted, I don't think, is the, um, is the quintessential smart horse who's going to do everything he can to uh, take care of himself and win the race, but I think he's just got gobs of talent. I think he's starting to put together... I'm not telling anybody that betters anything that betters really want to hear right now because he's going to be three to five or four to five. But this is a horse I love. I think I think big things are only ahead of him after that met mile. Still, I think if he bounces, John, he still wins this by open lengths. I have no trouble with him going two turns. Sorry, folks. Chalk, chalk, chalk. I love Frosted. Well, that's why they make pick fours. <laughs> you, 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 you get go. to have it. You get to have an N anchor. Well, uh, we're talking with Brian Zipsy again. I'm- implore you uh, to go to Horse Racing Nation and to read his columns on Zipsy at the track. Uh, There's a good one on there about his Whitney Handicap winners by decade. Uh, He's got uh, Blame, Invasor, Victory Gallop, of course, Who Didn't Love, Easygoer, and Alidar, Dr. Fager, some say the greatest horse ever, Tom Fool, Gallaret, but he gives a a little nice thumbnail description about each one of those for the reason uh, that they are his favorites by the decade. Great job of writing, great production on the website, and um, I thank you for all your efforts that you do in racing, Brian. My pleasure, John. Thank you for the kind words. I always enjoy your show, and I enjoy seeing you out at the track. I hope, I hope we'll get together at some point again soon, and thanks for having me on. I'm sure we will, and thank you for being on, and thanks to my man, Tony Bentley. You can listen to him at Suffolk Downs. Let's see if he's still got it. Uh, he's now working in Academy Award winning films. We'll see if he's still an Academy Award winning race caller. So that's it for Winning Pony. Pull down the easy win forms. Great racing over the weekend. As I look over the manicured turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I want to remind you, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.